met a, met a young man in the men's bathroom just a few minutes ago. I said, so how's it been going? He said, it's, it's been good. It's been good. So I, I just think how, what a privilege it is to be here and all the resources and people we get to know. And um, So I'm going to invite a couple people that we've probably seen a little bit this weekend up. We'll start off with uh, John and Pam Dysinger. John and Pam, if you could come on up. Then we're going to take just a couple minutes here um, and just share, let them uh, share with us a little something of a resource they're working on. I just think about, you know, I'm kind of a, it's on, right on, I'm kind of a farmer wannabe. Uh, my son's kind of more of the farmer and I kind of maybe want to be more of a farmer. But um, the neat thing about farming, even though you work really hard, right, much, many, much of the year, there's kind of this sabbatical maybe you get to take from time to time. And I was thinking, you guys have been working on something maybe during your sabbatical. Is that right? Didn't I understand that part of this book you actually started on when you were in Honduras or something? Is yes, that right? Yes. Tell us a little uh, bit about that. How long has it been? Two and a half, <laughs> three years ago, I guess we felt the need to take a sabbatical and we've been trying to, I know I've talked with some of you about how to implement the, the sabbatical into agriculture. And anyway, we won't get into that story, but the Lord led us to Honduras for three months and he had put on our hearts, um, each of us individually, a book project. And so during that time, we had some real focused time to work on that. Um, I have been wanting for a long time to, to come up with a compilation of Mrs. White's writings on agriculture because it, that is what got me into it. You know, when I read the quotes, when I read the promises in Ellen White's writings, I knew it's what I had to do, what I wanted to do. And my conviction has been if we could bring these together, it would be such a powerful statement that people either have to just reject it or they have to embrace it. And so that's, that's what I've been working on. So and do you, Pam has her own project. Could I ask you a couple more questions about your sure. book? Would that be okay? <clears throat> So are you, are you finding that you're pulling information from a variety of resources that Sister White wrote, or are there several kind of key books that you have seemed to be more rich with that information? Have you noticed any trend there? Well, there's, there's classics, of course, education and ministry of healing and, and some of the testimonies. Um, but it's everywhere. And, and actually, I've, I've made it much more difficult for myself because... I tried to go to the original sources. Um, you know, which, of course, you know, there's a lot of compilations, and mm -hmm. so where did that come from? So that's the goal, and that's what's taking a little longer. And then um, the other thing is, I wanted to go to the unpublished writings. So I've been to Andrews a couple times and tried to collect all I could. Now, it's helping because the E.G. White estate is releasing all those this year. But, yeah, so it's, we've been combing through the unpublished works as well. So one more question. Anything that was the biggest surprise 
but you kind of maybe discovered or stumbled upon that you thought, ooh, this was, this was a, a nice gym that I never heard of or thought of. Anything come to your mind like that, John? You know, there's so many that I, I, it's, I've got 150 pages of manuscript. Um, but I think the neatest thing for me was I've got a whole chapter, quite a large chapter, about how Ellen White led by example. And she was big into agriculture, not just flower beds and a little garden, but you know, at Elmshaven, she had a, a farm. She had a farm manager, and so it was just neat to, to read some of her letters to her kids and telling about, you know, we've been harvesting this, and we've been canning that, and, and the, the trees are full of this. It, it really gives you a neat insight into Mrs. White as a, as a real human being. Do you have a particular timeline you're, you're hoping for to actually have the book uh, available to others? Oh, what, did, what did you say, Larry? It was actually last winter, and then the Agriculture Association, the forming of that kind of postponed it, but the goal is this winter. Praise the Lord. Lord willing. Yeah, we'll keep you in our prayers on that. Good. Okay, Pam, you, you have a book you're working on as well. Is that right? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm reluctant to say, you know, when we would share at times when people would visit the farm, we would share bits and pieces of the way that God has led. And many times people would say, you need to, you need to write about it. Mm-hmm. And my very, I mean, here's the writer. Here's the writer, and he's doing the compilation. I should have been doing the compilation, and he should have been doing the writing. <laughs> but that wasn't how God worked. No. And before we went to Honduras, I really prayed, Lord, please lay that project on my husband's heart. <laughs> <laughs> John even, John took a day of prayer. And I just prayed, Lord, please. And if he doesn't come home with that project on his heart, then I know it's on my, on my shoulders. So, I, yes, it, it has been a big project, and the Lord is blessing, and its, it's title is Our Ebenezer. Um, thus far, the Lord has led. And it's, a t- it's just about um, how God led us into agriculture, the bearing our soul of many mistakes, and the... So it's your personal story. It's our personal story, okay. and the, the hopefully just the lifting up of God and his faithfulness. Amen. Despite our unfaithfulness. Amen. And when, when do you think we might see that book? Have you had any thoughts on that? No. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean... It's, I mean, it's done. It's just in the final editing stages. Okay. So I, I, yeah, I have a few other things on my plate right now. <laughs> I'm sure. Great. Thank you so much for sharing, both of you. I'd like to ask um, Joshua White if you would be kind enough to come up. Joshua had a nice <clears throat> presentation. I think, what was that? Was that yesterday? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And Joshua is actually heads up a ministry called a Thinking Generation Ministry. A Thinking Generation Ministry. Now, 
if I, if I could just ask, I, we're going to talk about a couple things, but how did you even, where did you come up with this idea of a thinking generation ministry? I really saw the need for a generation of, of people that can, can think for themselves, that uh, can, can reason from cause to effect, that can make decisions not based on what's, what's common in the world, but based on the word of God. And um, to go explain that a little more, yeah. I believe that the best way to get that is through the child at the young age. This is not, it, it may sound like a youth ministry, but it's not at all. This is for the young child. This is, I'm a researcher in the field of child development and education, and um, I focus on the pre-age 12 child, and my goal is to help parents understand what are the best methods for raising and educating my child, mm. um, and I, I expound on that through science and the spirit of prophecy. How, how are you convicted about that? How did you choose that particular? Do you it, have was a, an all, it, was, it was an interest of mine. Uh, I definitely found that area fascinating, the, the science of the brain, how, how it develops. And when I started seeing the science explaining the counsel that we've known, I, I was yeah. just fascinated. And yeah, I said, people have got to know about this. So people can get to know about that, people right? People can know about that. So my understanding is, is you have developed DVDs and series and things. To share us a little bit about That's that. That's correct. Yes, I have two resources in, in, uh, in a broad sense for, for getting this information. I have a DVD series that is uh, currently in progress. There's been some delays. We actually hope to have it here, but, but that didn't work out. That will be coming out in December. Um, that is an eight-disc set called The Classroom of the Remnant. What are the educational principles needed for young children to develop um, spiritually strong young people? And then beyond the DVD series, I do travel and give, uh, I have a four-part seminar that's, that works great in a, in a Sabbath setting, uh, you know, a, a, a Sabbath morning sermon and then uh, three more talks throughout the afternoon. Um, so that's another great way to get information. So, in other words, folks here who are from churches from around the country? Absolutely. It works great for churches. You can contact me through my website. That's athinkinggeneration.org. My email is real easy to remember, too. That's joshua at athinkinggeneration.org. Very good. There. Very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Joshua. Thank you. So, I'm going to ask Paul Dysinger. Is Paul? There, there you are, Paul. Good. So, you know, the interesting thing is, is here we are. 300 of us or so sitting in this chapel and enjoying and, and on the campus here. Uh, and yet Paul has been doing something in the back, kind of behind the scenes. Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, if you all have seen me running around or <laughs> um, in the background, it's been I, and I'm sure that many of you have, have seen it or heard about it, I committed to live broadcast the agriculture conference and it was a little bit of a bigger chunk than I thought at first to, to pull it off met obstacles that I wasn't expecting I mean even getting internet out into this building um, that was good was a little bit of a of a challenge versus doing it just through an iPhone and so anyways it's not the best quality but yes we are live broadcasting it um, out so what have you been finding out? You getting feedback or anything from anybody who may be out there viewing or watching? Yeah, and you know, we I wanted to I wanted to share with you all um, just a few of the comments. Just I think that it's an encouragement 
to all of us. You know, we're here, and it was, it was such a neat thing to see this conference fill up. Um, you know, we didn't know what to expect when the conference was starting out, and to see registration fill up and then to think about, well, maybe we need an overflow room because there's so many people that are wanting to come. And, and we see the interest in gardening and in agriculture skyrocketing out in the world, don't we? And I think it's a beautiful illustration here that the interest is skyrocketing in our own church as well. Um, and I just wanted to share with you uh, a few comments and it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see. We've had, we've had people jumping on the live stream on every single one of the sessions. Um, the first session that we had, we had um, about 170 people on at one time. More people might have been on. Uh, I can only see, like, how many came on all at, if they're all on at one time. So some more people could have come on and jumped off. Um, but that's just a, a ballpark number. And just wanted to, to read a few of the the comments to you all, and to give you a little broader perspective that this isn't just something that's happening here, it's something that's happening all the way around the world. Amen. We have Ruben that was listening in from Curacao? In Curacao? Curacao, yeah, yeah uh, however you say it, um, in the West Indies. Um, Julie was li- listening in from the Yukon Territories, that's a little bit closer to us here in Canada. Will Morin was watching from El Salvador in Central America. Harvey was checking in briefly from Thailand. He says, we have a lot to do to improve our gardens here at Sunshine Orchards. There's probably many of you that know about Sunshine Orchards. Um, and he's really thankful for them. Um, another person that, that logged in from Johannesburg, I believe in South Africa, because she says, thanks indeed, my time here says 2.40 a.m., it's worth it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, David was logging in from Bolivia, and um, he was specifically talking about Byron's speech. He said, I missed half of Byron's speech already while I was finding this very interest, but I'm fi- while I'm finding it very interesting and uplifting, may God bless this conference. Amen. Um, and just a couple more here. Um, one says, that, that was excellent, encouraging. Thanks for making this available for us to experience. I will be sharing this talk with my friends as soon as I can get access to it. And again, the amount that I was able to listen to was so encouraging. Blessings. And I'll end on this last one. Good challenge, not just for the youngs, but for everyone. Amen. To develop new tech for gardens and for small farms. Um, I'm sorry, that was... That wasn't the one I wanted to end on. Here's the one I wanted to end on here. You got an extra bonus. All right, fair enough. God, make us better steward of our creation. Uh, of God, make us better steward of your creation under our feet. Blessings to everybody. Wow. So I just wanted Lord. to share with that, that with you, the hundreds of brothers and sisters that aren't here, but that would love to be here, that wish they could be here, and that are listening in online. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Paul. So I asked permission from Pam to share something with you guys about her book. Me and my wife, when we started this new farm that we're at, we had pretty high expectations of what we were going to encounter. I'd been farming for years and, and kind of, you know, thought we would just sort of continue that process. And for whatever reason, the Lord had placed upon Pam's heart that maybe it might be beneficial for us. I'd say if God impressed it, it wasn't a maybe. 
God impressed Pam's heart because he knew what we were going to encounter, that maybe we should share our testimony with them. And so she, uh, she gave me the privilege, the privilege and the honor to see their book. And I don't think she had shared it with really anyone at that time, or I don't know if she has still. So me and my wife read it as a morning devotion. And uh, that year we had a 55-mile-an-hour head-on collision. Our soil was pretty poor, and it wasn't producing well. And it was very discouraging. And as I was reading what they had, how the Lord had carried them, it really was, I would say, I think we both cried as we read the book several times. And I keep saying I'm crying here at this thing. I, I'm not really a crier. Just, I mean, I really don't cry. But there were, it, was, it was very emotional. I mean, it was very, uh, the Lord did inspire her to give that to us. And so I just wanted to say that because when we give our testimonies, you just never know how the Lord's going to use that that challenging moment in your life to encourage and bless somebody else. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what God has given us in our testimony. So, you know, whatever it's worth, I'm, I'm thankful for what, I, what they shared with me. And, and I just wanted to say that about that book because it was, I think it, it really encouraged me and my wife in our trials as starting this little farm. And, you know, praise the Lord. He gets all the glory and honor, you know. With that said, I wanted to introduce your special music. It's going to be the New Heart and Connect Girls. Uh, sisters, sorry, not girls. Sisters, got that wrong. After they're done, our speaker this evening will be Bob Jorgensen. May the Lord bless what we hear. It's a blessing and a privilege to be here with each of you this evening. And again, for those of you who weren't here yesterday evening, I want to say that I really appreciate the opportunity to meet together with each one of you. I've had some opportunity to sit down and talk with some of you individually. I would love to with each of you and find out what's happening in your experience spiritually and physically in the agriculture scene because each one of us is involved in agriculture in more ways than just in the fact that we eat. That is a very direct connection we have even if we don't think about it. But there's another way and I want to talk about that just a little bit at the beginning of this presentation. This picture by the way, I don't know if you can see it very well, but it is a farm at an Adventist school over in Africa. And this is another picture from an Adventist farm in our earlier history, which we will be looking at a little more this evening. But I'd like to draw your attention to this statement that we find in volume five of the testimonies. Now, I mentioned last evening that it's my personal observation that God planted two gardens when he planted the garden in Eden. And here we see what kind of plants are in the other garden. Volume 5 of the Testimonies, page 250. He who fitted the tree to bear its burden of goodly fruit has made man capable of bearing the precious fruits of righteousness. 
He has planted man in his garden. So whose garden is this talking about now? God's garden. God actually planted a garden that he's interested in when he planted a garden for Adam and Eve too. And he's watching carefully to see the plants growing in his garden. And who are the plants? We are the plants. He has planted in his garden man and tenderly cared for him and he expects him to do what? To bear fruit. It's always a blessing when everything works in these machines, but oftentimes it doesn't always work right away. But I'm very thankful for the Lord's blessing and giving people ability to do some of these things because oftentimes I feel totally lost trying to figure out what's going on. So this evening we want to look at some of our history in Adventism to see how agriculture has figured in. We've looked at some things yesterday evening. We're going to look at more this evening. And I'm going to begin with a school that was the first college instituted in Adventism, the Battle Creek College. It was established in this building in Battle Creek. This is another view here at a little later stage when some wings had been added on. And this is the first place where agriculture actually starts taking on a role that involves some controversy in Adventism. It was in connection with things taking place at the Battle Creek College. Ellen White had been instructed about the importance of having manual training and especially agriculture as a part of education. She had written to the leaders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and particularly of Battle Creek College there at Battle Creek, words like this. To give students a knowledge of books merely is not the purpose of the institution. Such education can be obtained at any college in the land. I was shown that it is Satan's purpose to prevent the attainment of the very object for which the college was established. Hindered by his devices, its managers reason after the manner of the world and copy its plans and imitate its customs. Now, in reading some of these kind of passages through the past, and this is found in Volume 5 of the Testimonies, I wondered, what were they doing? When I read a statement like this, I'm curious, what is it that this is talking about? It seems like they are assumed to understand what this statement is discussing, and it's saying that they're following the ways of the world and not doing what they should be doing. So I wanted to know, what are they supposed to be doing? And there is some discussion as it goes on, but through some of the opportunities for researching old archive records and documents, much more has emerged about what was taking place in this time period. But she emphasizes here that the managers have been reasoning after the manner of the world and have been copying its plans and imitating its customs. But in thus doing, they will not meet the mind of the Spirit of God. 
A more comprehensive education is needed, an education which will demand from teachers and principals such thought and effort as mere instruction in the sciences does not require. So she's saying something broader and bigger is being envisioned here. Does that simply mean more classes, more time, more credits, or what is that talking about? The character must receive proper discipline. So it's not talking just about intellect. It's saying the character must receive what? Proper discipline. Now, how do you discipline character? Have you ever heard of a school that gives degrees in different traits of character, like a degree in patience, or a degree in perseverance, or a degree in diligence? Have you ever heard of a school that does that? No, when you look at the degrees, the degrees are mostly in intellectual developments, the acquirement of knowledge and facts, the ability to be able to, to put back out a lot of information that has been poured in. But character development, how is that disciplined and trained? Can that be done in a classroom with a lecturer and a chalkboard? If it's more important, as this is seeming to suggest, that an emphasis be on character development in the educational program, how is that going to be accomplished? These are significant questions to consider. It goes on to say here, the students should receive at college such training as will enable them to maintain a respectable, honest, virtuous standing in society. How about a... PhD in honesty. Would you expect someone like that will always have integrity and honesty? They will always be true and pure. Well, a PhD wouldn't guarantee that, would it? They might have learned the theories, but what we need in character development is the discipline that develops habitual action that becomes like second nature. It says that this is important to withstand the demoralizing influences which are corrupting the youth. It would be well, could there be connected with our college? Now we're going to get into some hints and suggestions about how to develop this character development part of education that's lacking so much in this time frame. It says it would be well if there was connected with our college... What's the next part? Land for cultivation. This is the first thing that she heads into right after saying we're missing something in our education and that's the discipline and development of proper traits of character. Giving an honest day's work when work needs to be done. And you know the kind of things that go with character in, in an upright way. And it says here, land for cultivation is needed in connection with our college and also workshops under the charge of men competent to instruct the students in the various departments of physical labor. The various departments of what? Physical labor. Notice the emphasis here now after launching into this critical 
element that's missing in the educational program at Battle Creek College and saying that in order to fill this need, we need lands for cultivation and we need workshops and we need people who are skilled and competent to be in charge and instruct the students in these things. And then she says, much is lost by a neglect to unite physical with mental taxation. Notice the emphasis here in the context of character development is the need for physical taxation. Physical taxation. Physical taxation. Now there's another way to spell that. It's called H-A-R-D space W-O-R-K. You know what it is. Hard work. We're going to see that a little later in some of the curriculum program that was instituted at Battle Creek College. Now, or in the school at least, there was known as Battle Creek College at this time. Uh, just a little sidelight here. My wife and I were talking about this one day, and she came up with a unique acronym for agriculture. And it's based on H-A-R-D-W-O-R-K. And here's what it is. Healthy attitudes rightly directed will obtain righteous knowledge. So there's your acronym for agriculture. You know, it's kind of like uh, God's plan and head, uh, new start and things like that. There's one for agriculture. All right. Physical taxation, it indicates here, is going to help the development of character, and this is important for a well-rounded education. Now, is this only important for somebody that's going to be doing tree felling with an axe and a crosscut saw? Is it only important for somebody that's going to do old-time farming with horses and a pitchfork and a shovel? Or is physical activity, physical exertion, essential for anybody wanting to develop proper character? These are important questions for us to consider. And actually, there's been a considerable amount of discussion. I mentioned last evening several different research papers, uh, masters, and even doctoral studies have been done, which I found records for in research at the Andrews University Library, on the issue of manual labor in the educational program and agriculture even. Some of the research papers, extensive amounts of study, both in secular and in Adventist uh, philosophy, the things relating to the role of manual labor and agriculture in particular in the educational program. So these things have been discussed, and there have been a number of articles. Some of them are quite opposite to other articles and papers. People have vastly different ideas about uh, how to relate to this issue in Adventism. So it is a significant issue. It goes on to say in the last few sentences of this statement from volume 5 of the Testimonies, pages 22 and 23, the leisure hours, now that's interesting, leisure hours. You know, we don't have as many of those today, do we? 
If you're going to school particularly, you try to think, how many leisure hours do you have? For example, somebody going through medical school. I've talked with some people who have gone through medical school. And leisure hours sometimes are pretty short. When you're working in farming, leisure hours are pretty short too. But it says leisure hours of the students. So this is talking especially about the students in the school. Leisure hours are often occupied with frivolous pleasures which weaken physical, mental, and moral powers. Now that's interesting. It says these things classified as frivolous pleasures actually weaken the physical, mental, and moral powers. Now, moral powers would be in relation to spiritual development, and this would be in the context of what we're talking about regarding character. It's particularly moral development. There's another little... I call it a scientific notation, I suppose. We're familiar with H2O. It means two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen makes up a molecule of water. And we also had a, a little scientific no notation back about 14 years, a little over almost 15 years ago, when people were very concerned that everything was going to crash. And it was called Y2K. Year 2000. Well, this little scientific notation is W2K. What does that stand for? That stands for two well, work. That's a good one. Two parts work. But uh, in this case, the W stands for two parts wisdom to one part knowledge. Two parts wisdom to one part knowledge. Now, knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Facts, like we know gravity causes things to go down. That's a fact. And understanding how electricity works and how computers work, those are intellectual facts. Now, wisdom, and you can study this out in the Bible, it talks about wisdom and it talks about knowledge. And, and this would be a whole other subject that would be uh, very profitable for us to study together in a meeting. But I just want to point out, the Bible tells us that wisdom begins with something. If you don't start there, you don't have wisdom. It says the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So no school, Harvard University, Yale University, or any Adventist school, no school excluded, can teach true understanding of education unless they begin with the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom and if you don't have wisdom you'll use knowledge destructively. It takes more wisdom than knowledge in order to use knowledge properly. So that's that's the point. So enough about that. This is a picture of Battle Creek College back around the time that Sutherland came to be the president there. And I'm going to give you a little background of history here. Through the years from 1874 to 1897, which was around the time that Sutherland came, Battle Creek College went through a lot of upheaval. Now, it had started, and this building was constructed on a plot of ground that was five acres. It was in the middle of Battle Creek. And when the, the plans were being made to establish the 
College there in Battle Creek, Ellen and James White pled for the school to be established out in the country where there would be land for cultivation and land for the students to work and grow food and, and be able to be involved in physical exertion. But the brethren saw fit to do otherwise and they purchased the five acres and, and established Battle Creek College in the middle of the city of Battle Creek. And the records indicate that Ellen White cried over that, but yet because it was there, she continued to support the work that was to be done and tried to encourage it to be done as well as it could be under the circumstances. She did not abandon it because they made a mistake just like God didn't abandon Israel because they chose a king. He was still willing to work with them, but they reaped a lot of bad results because of a bad choice they were determined to make. And it eventually caused the loss of many people anyway. But in this case, there was a lot of conflict that developed there at Battle Creek. There were people wanting to reform the classical education program that was being followed. It was basically the same program being followed in other schools, and some of the people who were teaching in the staff at Battle Creek had come from other schools, and that was the only system they were familiar with. One man who was the president for a little while there at Battle Creek, Sidney Brownsberger, he later became reformed in his understanding, but he went through a severe struggle to gain that change of understanding. He made the statement when some of these testimonies were coming from Ellen White that he had no idea how to institute that kind of a plan of education. And so there was this struggle going on, and eventually in the midst of upheaval and conflict, there were a group of people, including A.T. Jones, E.J. Wagner, John Harvey Kellogg, and others who wanted to see reforms take place in the Battle Creek College and in the educational program. And so there were enough of these people who were able to, to move things in a direction to invite Edward Sutherland, who was the president at Walla Walla College, to come and become the president at Battle Creek College. Now, he was known to be an innovator already during the short time he had been involved at Walla Walla College. Previous to Sutherland's coming to Battle Creek, the Battle Creek School, at the height of its enrollment, had had over 700 students. The enrollment had fallen off some through the conflicts and turmoils taking place. There was even such a, a great degree of conflict at one point that a president resigned and the school actually closed down for a little while, for about a year, I think. The school was closed down, but then they started back up and continued on. But there were many problems and many conflicts that continued to hamper the operation of a smooth-running school. Now, when Sutherland came to Battle Creek College, there was a ball field and a tennis court area on the grounds of the college. And the... Students had been involved in different types of sports activity, even playing games of competition with other groups of uh, young people from other schools or different groups of people there in Battle Creek. Ellen White, who at this time was in Australia, superintending the school, which was, in her words, 
to be different from any of the schools started so far by the denomination was writing testimonies such as the one that I mentioned earlier and sending these across the ocean. And Sutherland was reading these testimonies and he was anxious to implement these reforms as quickly as possible. If the Lord was sending a message, he was ready to do it right now. Now, what were some of the schools that were in existence at this time when Ellen White said that there at Avondale they were going to be starting a school that was different from anything that had been established so far? Well, we already know that Battle Creek and Walla Walla were in operation. Also, the Healdsburg College, which later became Pacific Union College, it had been started in 1882. Atlantic Union College, which originally was Lancaster Academy, was also started in 1882. Union College had been started in 1891. And Walla Walla then had started in 1892. The American Medical Missionary College was in 1895. And Southern Missionary College had been started in 1896. It was known as Graysville Academy originally. Oakwood College had also started in 1896. And I'm going to give you a little history of Oakwood, the Lord willing, tomorrow evening, I think, and their involvement in agriculture. Also at the secondary level, Mount Vernon Academy and Keene Industrial Academy had been started in the early 1890s. There were some other schools too, but these schools were schools that had already been established, and obviously Ellen White was including all of them when she said, we're going to do something different from what has been done so far in Adventism in developing an educational institution here in Australia. Now the majority of these schools that I mentioned here, not all of them, but the majority of them had agricultural programs of some kind taking place. And undoubtedly there were some, perhaps many, who looked upon an agricultural program as simply a necessary part of establishing and maintaining an institution. It was often also looked upon as a way to pay a student's way through school. Now, was Ellen White seeing, that's a picture of Sutherland, by the way, was Ellen White seeing more in manual labor and specifically in agriculture than just providing food for the institution or for the students and staff? And that is a very important and commendable accomplishment in any event, but was she seeing more than that? And was she seeing more than just a way to pay one's bills through school? Was it even more than learning a vocation for those who might want to go into farming for the rest of their life? Was there more in this encouragement to involve manual training in agriculture than any of these aspects? As Ellen White was writing of their new venture in establishing a school in Australia, Sutherland was reading and implementing as fast as possible the reforms in education that she was talking about. As I mentioned earlier, he had done that at Walla Walla, and now he was doing much more at Battle Creek. He even became known as being an extremist bordering on fanaticism by even some of the top church leaders. Undoubtedly, if Ellen White had not written letters of support, he would have been dismissed from denominational connection as an educator. 
But there at Battle Creek, he abolished, after he became president, he abolished degrees. He changed the classical education program to a more Bible-centered missionary training program. He eliminated a lot of the classical studies of classical literature and the, the requirement of learning Latin and different things like that for those who were training for missionary service. These were some of the reforms that he instituted which caused some uproar in circles of leadership and educational staff even. As Ellen White continued to write these type of testimonies calling for changes and calling for even having land for students to cultivate, Sutherland was inspired along with his associate, Percy McGann, who is the academic dean for Battle Creek College, they were inspired to hook up a team of horses there at the Battle Creek College and plow up the tennis court and ball fields, and they informed the students that now they would grow food in gardens for their physical activity. The ground was so hard, as you can imagine, in a place where lots of feet have run and packed and trampled, that in order to get the plow to dig in, they had to get a 200-pound man to sit on the plow beam so they could plow the ground and get the garden started. Sutherland learned from firsthand experience what Ellen White was talking about when she wrote in 1891, the reasons that have led us in a few places to turn away from cities and locate our schools in the country hold good with the schools in other places. So this means that the reasons that some schools had agricultural programs and were out in the country was good for how many of the other schools? All of them. Yeah, she said it applies to all of them, basically. It's good for the schools in other places. To expend money in additional buildings when a school is already deeply in debt is not in accordance with God's plan. Had the money which our larger schools have used in expensive buildings, and the largest one was where? Battle Creek. I showed you the picture of it. You saw the picture, didn't you? She's talking about that when she makes this statement, the larger schools where lots of money has been expended, she says, this money should have been invested in procuring land where students could receive a proper education so large a number of students would not now be struggling under the weight of increasing debt and the work of these institutions would be in more prosperous condition. Now, when we look at the size of Battle Creek College then and realize that this statement is saying the money used to construct those kind of structures should have been put into buying land and giving students a proper ed education, we have to ask ourselves, does that apply to us today? Do students still need character development today? Does character development require physical exertion like it was saying here it did back then? Or has human nature changed and now we can get all of that character development just from working with computers and cell phones and iPods? She says that had this course been followed, there would have been some... Let's see here... Okay, one more. I didn't keep up with it. Had this course been followed, there would have been some what? Grumbling. Grumbling. Back then that might have happened, but not now. Is that right? 
Nothing new under the sun, is there? If this course had been followed, there would have been some grumbling from the students and many objections would have been raised by parents. I could tell you some interesting stories about dialogues I've had with uh, people in conference educational leadership who have told me that we can't follow this kind of a program because the parents won't support it. But, it says, if this was implemented in spite of the grumbling and the many objections, the students would have secured an all-round education which would have prepared them not only for practical work in various trades, but, in this part here, is really astounding. It says that this work involving having large tracts of land instead of big buildings for the students to gain a proper education, it said it would have prepared them for a place on what? The Lord's farm in the earth made new. Did you know that's where everyone's headed who is saved? Is to work on a farm. I didn't make that up. God invented the idea. He started it before sin ever occurred, and he plans to carry it on through eternity when things have been restored to his plan. So what was it that the students were not getting when the physical activity wasn't there and the lands for cultivating weren't there? They weren't getting the preparation for the Lord's farm in the new earth. And what is the preparation for that? It's character development. It's not an intellectual encyclopedia of facts. It's character development that prepares for that farm in the new earth. It will never come simply from pouring through books and listening to lectures in a classroom. That's not where character gets developed correctly. The rest of the statement says this, had all our schools, so here it emphasizes again, how many of them? A few of them? Most of them? How much is all? <laughs> all right, there's nothing left out. Had all our schools encouraged work in? Now, I didn't make that up. You can go back and look in the original, and I'm sure that Brother John has found that statement in the original. It still says agriculture there. Had all our schools, not just a few schools that are going to train farmers, but had all our schools encouraged work in agricultural lines, they would now have an altogether different showing there would not be so great discouragements. Opposing influences would have been overcome. Financial conditions would have changed. Now, things were vastly different back then. There were not the regulations and the certifications and a lot of the other things that we have to deal with now. You may remember the statement. You can find it in Volume 5 of the Testimonies in a section. I encourage you to read the whole section. It's called The Church, the Light of the World. And you can look it up and find it there. But there's a statement there that we've often heard quoted or paraphrased at least. It says something like this. The work which the church has failed to do in a time of comparative ease and prosperity will have to be done in a time of great hardship. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the idea. You've heard the statement. And we think about that being that we can't go out and evangelize as freely because of Sunday legislation. But brothers and sisters, I want to suggest 
But this is talking about work like this that should have been done, work like true medical missionary work that should have been established on a worldwide basis over 100 years ago. There was an open opportunity for these things. There's a whole other whole nother area of study on what was happening in the educational scene here at the change of the century between 1800 and 1900, and then on the uh, medical scene, what was happening in the secular world and what was happening in Adventism in regards to medical missionary work. When we had an opportunity, there was a window of opportunity open for a brief period of time to reform the medical practices and the educational practices of the world. And God put the tools in the hands of Seventh-day Adventists to do that in people like J.H. Kellogg and Edward Sutherland. With a prophet in the midst, we had a wide open opportunity, but the words were there, the work which the church has failed to do in a time of, of comparative ease and opportunity and prosperity will have to be done under great adversity. The prophet's gone now. Sutherland's gone. Kellogg's gone. And the work which we were supposed to head has been taken over by the world, and we are following along, trailing behind the rest of the world now. So this is telling us that had all our schools encouraged work in agricultural lines, things would be vastly different. And this was already in the early 1900s that it's saying it would have been different. With the students, Can that also be spelled H-A-R-D-O-W-O-R-K? Yes. With the students, labor would have been equalized, and as all the human machinery was proportionately taxed, greater physical and mental strength would have been developed. So this is saying that by equalizing and putting labor into physical areas as well as into intellectual and mental developments, that both of them will be improved and work better. This means that when physical activity takes place, and it's saying particularly in agriculture, that the mind rewires itself and thinks differently. It doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, a mechanic, a preacher, whatever you are, when you have this kind of experience and involvement in agriculture, we're told, we'll do this better than any other line of activity. We'll look at some of the statements. But it says that when this happens, the brain functions differently. It thinks differently. It has more ability to think spiritually. It says the instruction which the Lord has been pleased to give has been taken hold of so feebly that obstacles have not been overcome. This is in the early 1900s. Now, have they been overcome by now? If we read in our history that something the Lord is calling for was not really done, do we need to evaluate, has it been done somewhere between then and now? And if it still hasn't been done, has the Lord given up on it? Or has he decided that we don't need to do it? Or is it something he's still waiting for us to do? From studying our history, these are questions we need to look at carefully. So, at Battle Creek College, Sutherland developed a manual training department. And notice what the first thing is at the top, college farm. Now, what kind of a college farm can you operate on five acres in the middle of the city? Well, it was a problem. He was able to plow up the ball field and the tennis court, but there wasn't a whole lot of room. So what they did 
With the help of John Harvey Kellogg, they actually obtained about 40 acres of a farm outside the city and they would transport the students back and forth to get some agricultural and outside activity on the farm outside of the city. But that's kind of inconvenient and as we'll see just a little later, there is an important factor of the school being located where the area that the students are working are around where they're living. There's a reason for not having to be transported back and forth to where your, your farming endeavor is taking place. Through this period, Sutherland became involved in the publication of an educational journal which more and more propounded the philosophy of educational reform which he was following. Notice some of the format and titles that are in these. Now here on this one, this uh, is called the Training School Advocate. These are pictures of some of those old ones. On this one here, it was very interesting. This is in 1898. This is a, the uh, school year for 1898 to 1899. Booker T. Washington is listed as one of the contributing editors for this, and he's especially going to be focusing on general industrial education. If this had not been just strictly on Seventh-day Adventist history, I would have loved to include a presentation on the development of Tuskegee Institute and Booker T. Washington's philosophy. But we're looking at Adventist history, but he does figure into it here. And I've talked with the people in the archives at Tuskegee Institute, and they said there has been a long time connection and relationship with the early people at Oakwood College. And uh, I will talk a little bit more about some of that tomorrow evening. Booker T. Washington lived contem contemporaneously with Ellen White. They both died in 1915. If you can read, there's three books by him I'll mention before going on here. If you have an opportunity to read them, uh, I would highly encourage reading them. One of them is called Up From Slavery. It tells about his early experience and how he developed a philosophy of education in his early years. The next book, which is a sequel to that, is called Working With the Hands, which describes the philosophy that was instituted at Tuskegee Institute and tells about what kind of an experience the students had there and what an experience a person would have if they came to visit Tuskegee. And then the third book is about character development or character lessons. It's uh, chapel talks that he gave there at Tuskegee. Telling the students how to do things like pick up their socks and clean their room and things like that. In 1901, well before I get to that, let me show you a few of these others. Here you can see Sutherland is listed as the associate ed editor and shortly after this he became the editor. Battle Creek College here is listed as a training school for Christian workers. The object, Battle Creek College is designed especially to train young men and young women to be what? Missionaries. Do you have to have good character to be a good missionary? Or can you be a good missionary if you just have a head full of facts? For this reason, it takes a different view of education than that of the colleges of the world. The object of its system of education is the restoration of God in the soul, and so on. 
Very interesting article. Here's a schedule of the daily program. The classes started from in 8 in the morning to 9 in the evening. A training school for Christian workers. Now these are examples of things you would find in the little journal that Sutherland was putting out while developing the program there at Battle Creek College. And then he continued putting this journal out even after he, he moved the college from Battle Creek to Berrien Springs, Michigan. But notice what he says here. Although the first object of the institution, that of training missionaries, has not always been held as prominently before <laughs> applicants for admission as it should have been, and consequently the tenor of instruction has been modified largely by general educational institutions, talking about outside the church. Nevertheless, the college as now conducted aims to return in the truest sense to the noble object for which it was founded. So he is very open about saying we are making changes and we're going a different direction from the rest of the world. But still, that's hard to do on five acres in the middle of the city. So Sutherland very soon developed the idea that this is not going to work like we need it to work. We're going to have to change something somewhere. And he started looking for ways to make a change. Here is another list. Notice some of the things it has here. Here's an article in his educational journal called Plowing Corn. Here's another one called Plowing. Be an interesting journal to get. There, it's a little larger. An article on textbooks. I've been curious, what kind of textbooks did they use back in those early days? How to teach kindergarten from the Bible. Oh, here's an interesting one. What are those first two words? Are they big enough for you to read? Hard work. Hard work a what? An essential element in a college education. Sounds like he's been reading Ellen White, doesn't it? He has, and he's determined to put it into practice. Nobody's going to get through school without learning what hard work is. Wholesome discipline and hard, painstaking work are among the chief benefits that the Christian college offers. Have you seen that in any school bulletins recently? Probably a lot of students might decide they don't want to go to a school like that if they read that in the bulletin. But that was apparently what the Lord was calling for because at a later point, a few years later, when Sutherland had really fine-tuned and developed this program much more extensively, Ellen White said that in spite of much objection and opposition, that Brother Sutherland and his associates have made giant strides in the right direction of true education. And then later, Sutherland went down south and started the Madison School. And four years later, she made the statement that the Madison School, where he developed this outlook even more, she said the Madison School has done more than any other institution that we have started in America to show what true education is. So the program going on at that point is what she was talking about when she made these statements. And you can see from these articles what key features were in this educational program and where agriculture fit into it.
Now, we're going to make a little change of direction here for a moment because we have to fill this in in the chronological order that it takes place. We have looked at what was happening at Battle Creek College down to the point now of 1901. And during this same time, something was happening over in Australia which influenced events of 1901. Ellen White had been writing the testimonies, some of which we read earlier, and then Ellen White came back to America in 1901 and attended the general conference session. So what was happening during this time frame leading up to 1901 over in Australia that ended up having such an effect on what was going to be taking place in America? Over in Avondale, the land was located and eventually purchased around 1894, and they started working on clearing some young people that wanted to be students at the soon-to-develop school, came early and helped to clear land and work there. And so for the next couple years, they were working on trying to get things developed to establish a school. And I think it officially opened around 1896. When Ellen White took up residence there, the first thing that she did was set up her tent. And then she started working on planting the gardens and the fruit trees while she was living in a tent. She had a tent set up for her workers, too. And they started doing the same thing on the school grounds. Before they started building the house or the buildings, they were getting the fields prepared. Now, is there anything that you can find in the Bible that would suggest that kind of an order of events? Get the field fixed first and then work on building your house. All right, are you familiar with Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27? What does it say there? Prepare the work without first and get the field ready. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it says, then afterwards build your house. So Ellen White followed that principle there at Avondale. She lived in a tent, and her workers lived in tents while they were getting their lands fixed, their uh, gardens and things like that, and getting fruit trees set out. And she wrote about some of that. Here's a picture of some of the uh, fruit trees that they had gotten set out a little while after they were growing. She wrote this description of what, what they were doing there. She says, I determined to set my trees even before the foundation of the house was built. We broke up only furrows, leaving large spaces unplowed. So they had land that was cleared. They had been uh, cutting big trees. Those of you who were here last night saw pictures of some of those trees, and they didn't have chainsaws back then. They were using axes and cross-cut saws. The young men and the uh, people who were staff and teachers were working to cut these trees down, get them out of the way, and clear the fields where they could grow land. Do you think they got some experience at hard work? Yes. So they were already beginning their education, even if there was not a classroom lesson taking place that day. But uh, they started incorporating some classes along with the work that continued on. 
Now, it's interesting here. They did not dig the holes that we've become accustomed to thinking of as the Ellen White method. While there was a later point where they did dig some holes and do that, and she talks about that, here they had quite a number on a number of acres, quite a number of trees to plant, and they didn't even plow the whole area up. They just plowed a deep furrow down the row where they were going to plant the trees. They set the trees in the furrow and put the dirt back around them. And the uh, pictures of some of the trees that are here, you'll see, were planted that way. That's what she describes. They left large spaces unplowed, and they just put the furrows where we planted our trees the last of September. And lo, this year, they were loaded with beautiful blossoms, and the trees were loaded with fruit. It was thought best to pick off the fruit, although the trees had obtained a growth that seemed almost incredible. The small amount of fruit, peaches and nectarines, that apparently they didn't pick off, have served me these three weeks. They were delicious. Early peaches, we have later peaches, only a few left to mature as samples. Our pomegranates looked beautiful in full bloom. Apricots were trimmed back in April and June, but they threw, their threw up their branches and in five weeks, by measurement, had a thrifty growth of five and eight feet. That's a foot a week or more. If the Lord prospers us next year, as he has done the past year, we will have all the fruit we wish to take care of early and late. The early fruit comes when there is nothing else. So this is an important item. The peaches are rich and juicy and grateful to the taste. We have quince trees set out, lemon, orange, apple, plum, and persimmon trees. We have even planted elderberry bushes. We planted our vineyard in June. That's quite an agricultural program, isn't it? It's not being done from a tractor seat. And it's not being done with a lot of the automated equipment we have now. It's being done by hard work. Everything is flourishing, and we shall have many clusters of grapes this season. We have a large strawberry bed, which will yield fruit next season. We have a few cherry trees, but the testimony is that the land is not good for cherries. But... So many false, discouraging testimonies have been born in regard to the land that we pay no attention to what they say. <laughs> we shall try every kind of a tree. We have a large number of mulberry trees and fig trees of different kinds. You ever gone to a place and you've said, can we grow apple trees here? And they say, no, you can't grow apple trees. You have this problem, this problem, this problem. Well, I don't think she would have paid much attention to that. She'd plant some apple trees anyway. Maybe the Lord will bless them. This is not only good fruit land, but it is excellent in producing root crops and tomatoes, beans, peas, potatoes, two crops a season. All these good treasures that the land will yield have been brought in from Sydney and Newcastle. That is, the people living locally were shipping it in from other places rather than growing it themselves. She says there's thousands of acres of land that's been untouched because the owners say they will not raise anything. We have our farm as an object lesson. We will show them what can be done. Remember last night the story about what the young man who often gave counsel in Ellen White's dreams had said? False witness has been born about this land. If properly worked, it will yield rich treasures. 
The school orchard is doing excellently well. If the land is worked, it will yield its treasures. If it's what? Work. And who's doing the work? We are. Yes. If the land is worked, it will yield its treasures. But weeds will grow, and the, those who own land will not exercise ambition to take these weeds out by the roots and give them no quarter. Deep plowing must be done. Interesting study. I looked up all the words in the spirit of prophecy, all the occurrences of the word plowing and plow, and I have a compilation for anybody that's interested in it. No-till was not part of the agriculture plan back then. They let a few orange trees grow in the sod, also the lemons. We get the choicest, best oranges for three pence and two pence, half penny per dozen, six cents American money, and four and five cents per dozen for large, beautiful, sweet oranges. We have a large space of land devoted to ornamental trees and flowers. Notice a large space of land just to ornamental trees and flowers. Lord loves beautiful things, and he put them there for us to develop, and there's counsel about not only having this kind of thing around our schools, but also around our medical institutions where the people that come for healing can get out and walk and work in this kind of an environment. I have scoured the country for different plants, and I have a large bush of lemon verbena honeysuckle. We have a large variety of roses, dahlias, gladiola, geraniums, pinks, pansies, and evergreens. This is a prophet talking about her agricultural enterprise. This must be a sample settlement to tell what can be raised here. Do you think God wants missionary people to go into many different areas of the world and show what can be raised there? Yeah. Agriculture is one of the key missionary arms of the third angel's message. Those of you who were here last night remember our discussion about every reform that has a part in the third angel's message. That, by the way, was from volume eight of the manuscript releases, pages 252 and 253. Here are a few of the other pictures of the developing fruit trees. You can see fruit hanging on the trees now there at the Avondale School. Now, take a look at this picture. This is an aerial, aerial view of the Australasian Missionary College. This is probably after Ellen White's death because uh, an aerial view would only be possible if you can fly. So. <laughs> is probably on into the uh, late 20s or sometime in the 1930s. There are other aerial views in the 30s I've found of other places, so that became possible by the 1930s. But notice something very interesting here. Notice where the buildings are and what you see around the buildings. Just, just uh, tuck that back away in your mind for future reference. Here's some of the uh, classroom activities. <laughs> These are not migrant workers that were hired to do this work. <laughs> One Friday evening, actually during the night, it may have been early in the morning after midnight because oftentimes Ellen White had such dreams. Uh, 
in the early morning. She had a dream. This would have been early Sabbath morning. There had been some discussion in recent days about selling off some of the school land here at the Avondale School in order to raise needed funds as well as to provide building sites for staff and teachers and families who might want to live near the school to be able to purchase a lot and build a house. And she related the dream that she had. She said, one stood in our midst who said, you are making a great mistake which you will have cause to regret. This land is not to be occupied with buildings except to provide the facilities essential for the teachers and students of the school. This land about the school is to be reserved as the school farm. It is to become a living parable to the students. So in addition to textbooks in the school and in the classroom and in their dormitory room, they also had a textbook that was outside the window. It was around the buildings, and it was where they went and worked. Each day, when they did the physical activity part of their education, it says it is to be a living parable to the students. The students are not to regard the school land as a common thing, but are to look upon it as a lesson book open before them which the Lord would have them study. Its lessons will impart knowledge in the culture of the soul. So the culture of the soil would impart lessons. It doesn't just say it will represent or symbolize. It's actually saying it will convey lessons into the soul simply by the activity of working on a soil. Now, this is in quotes. Do you see here where the uh, quotes started? One in our midst who says, so this is not Ellen White making this up. Who is it that's saying this? Yes, this is the testimony of Jesus, brothers and sisters, and I say that very reverently. We're on holy ground when we're reading this. If you should allow the land near the school to be occupied with private houses and then be driven to select for cultivation other land at a distance from the school, it would be a great mistake. It doesn't say it will just be an inconvenience. It doesn't say it will be a mistake. It says it will be a great mistake. And one always to be regretted. All the land near the building is to be regarded as the school farm where the youth can be educated under well-qualified superintendents. The youth who shall attend our schools need all the land nearby. That almost sounds selfish, doesn't it? Keep all this land. Don't let any of it go. Don't even let staff and teachers build houses there. This is a textbook for the students and for the community. The youth who shall attend our schools need all the land nearby. They are to plant it with ornamental and fruit trees. Who's to plant it? They. Is that just the grounds department? They, the students, and the teachers working with them and the superintendents are to plant ornamental and fruit trees and to cultivate garden produce. Again, 
I just want to emphasize, I'm not making this up. Ellen White didn't make this up. This is what the counselor said. This is in quotes. Volume 6 of the Testimonies, page 181, is where we've been reading from, and here's the last sentence. The school farm is to be regarded as a lesson book in nature from which the teachers may draw their object lessons. Now, if the teachers are going to teach the students the object lessons from the soil, that means the teachers must understand it, doesn't it? Amen. That may require a whole re-education process for many teachers. And I won't say any more about that. All right, coming back to 1901. In 1901, Ellen White had come back to the General Conference session. And in 1901, at the time the General Conference session took place, the worldwide church membership was 78,188, according to the uh, General Conference bulletin. There were 2,011 churches worldwide. Membership in the United States was a little over 63,000. Membership abroad, 14,000 and some. There were at least six colleges, a number of academies, and over 200 elementary schools established in America by the church. In addition, there were schools started in Canada, England, Australia, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, Africa, Argentina, Denmark, and Brazil. Another one opened in 1902, Newbold College, originally called Duncombe Hall Missionary School. So that's what's developed so far in the educational scene in 1901, basically, other than this last Newbold School mentioned here. In 1901, the general conference session took place, and just to try to make this as brief as possible, a decision was made rather miraculously, which got a unanimous approval from the delegates at the general conference session to move the school from Battle Creek to a more rural area. And very soon after that, Sutherland and his helpers loaded all the school equipment and furniture into about 16 or 18 boxcars, and before the decision could be reversed or a backlash could take place, they had carted it away, and they stored it down near Berrien Springs, Michigan, and they rented a hotel, the Orinoco Hotel, and also the courthouse that was there, uh, the old courthouse in Berrien Springs, and it's still standing there now. It actually was used as a Seventh-day Adventist church for a little while later. But uh, they rented these facilities and also set up a tent, uh, other tents, to use to hold classes in while they were working on establishing their agricultural program. So here again... As at Avondale, they focused on getting the agricultural program first before they started a building program. Later, uh, very quickly, they started the building after getting the agriculture going, and they established some buildings. Here you can see the tent in the background. Now, I mentioned earlier how many students had been enrolled in Battle Creek. At the height of its enrollment, do you remember? Over 700 
By the time that all of the reforms had been instituted through the approximately four years that Sutherland was at Battle Creek, the enrollment had continually dropped. Remember, it said there would be grumbling from the students and many objections from the parents, and many of them pulled their sons and daughters out, and students went other places. The enrollment had dropped. By the time that Sutherland got moved to this place here, the student enrollment was about 50. But he was determined to start a school here that would follow as closely as possible the instructions that were being given by the Lord, such as we read just a little earlier. Through this whole period of time, and even in the, the new location, he continued the publication of this journal, The Advocate of Christian Education. It was generally known as The Advocate. And on the front, there are titles of different things that are featured in the magazine. And up at the top, there would be a, a key theme on which there was an article, at least one or more articles. What's the key theme for this journal here? come out of the cities, and that's at a time when about 80% of the population is out of the city. <laughs> Inside, there's a fall announcement. The fall announcement of Emanuel Missionary College is of special interest to students. The institution coordinates. Now, this is the new location. Here's the new program with opportunities that did not exist previously. The institution coordinates physical, mental, and spiritual education. It prepares missionaries for field work. Notice what the emphasis is. This school is to prepare missionaries. That's its aim. For field work by affording an opportunity for practical training in many lines. On its large farm, I'm sure Sutherland just had a thrill of excitement go through him when he could write those words. He had been straitjacketed in Battle Creek, and now here he had a large farm. He could put the school right in the middle. He said, they have a large farm where will be developed plans for making agriculture the A, B, C of education. Various trades are taught. Students are received as apprentices in printing and carpentry in the bakery, in hygienic cookery, and in farming. Now here's another one. What's the theme for this issue? Manual training. Kind of a recurring, just different variations of the same theme. And many of the issues have this kind of, of uh, focus. This one's methods of teaching. Now here is the scene. Here, ornamental trees were planted. You can see the little trees in here. Arthur, do you, are, is Arthur here? That's, he, was, he was here a little bit ago. Uh, some of you, okay. Arthur, do you recognize this? <laughs> the trees are a little bigger now, but this is actually College Avenue, which at that time was the main entrance into the school. You don't see too many buildings. You can see a few little shadows back in the background. This was the first main building that was built. Here's College Avenue with a little line of trees. Uh, this, there were several buildings built. This is the administration building. Here's entering into the campus on College Avenue 
after the uh, administration building was built. And by the way, this is another view of the administration building. Uh, that was torn down back in the early 50s, but its location, for those of you that are familiar with the Andrews University campus, would be between the cafeteria and Nethery Hall. That's where this building was at that time, and you'll see the line of trees here. Here the trees are bigger. This is probably by the 30s. This is after Sutherland left uh, some time later. But here you see the buildings, most of these big buildings were built during the time Sutherland was there. And that was in a period of four years, as well as the gardens and fruit trees and other things set out. But you see the arrangement of the buildings and what do you see all around the buildings? It's almost like a snapshot of the Avondale School, isn't it? Just in a different location, a little different order. This was a dormitory here. This building, uh, I lived at Andrews when I was a little boy till we moved away in 1972, and this building was standing when I was there. I remember that building. But there were a lot of other buildings in other places now, too. But uh, this was a dormitory. When the students look out the window, what do they see? They see their classroom where they've been working. Another view of the campus, you see the broad expanses of fields around. Back here is the St. Joe River. This is the uh, barn and farm building back at the back of the campus. This is right at the, there's still a little, uh, I don't know, if, yes, there's a little building here that was part of the dairy parlor back when I was a little boy there. That whole dairy operation has been moved down to a lower area now. But um, this is a close-up view of some of the crops being grown. And again, these are not migrant workers. These are actually students from the school that are doing the work. They're picking berries here. More of the fields around the campus area. This is a tomato crop being harvested, apples from the apple orchard, uh, harvesting grain with a trio of horses pulling the harvesting machine. Some of the cottages that were initially built for students to stay in. Here is a current picture of the line of trees. They're over 100 years old now. Some of the trees have died or been taken out for uh, sidewalks or building operation. Again, here's an aerial view of the campus, and just take a good look at this. You see the expanse of fields around. Back here's the St. Joe River. This is about the time that our family moved there, 1959-1960. Uh, for those of you familiar with the campus, Things are starting to grow up a little bit. You can still see the St. Joe River back here. This is the James White Library, which is under construction in this picture, I believe. The uh, seminary building, this is the Pioneer Memorial Church. Here's the line of trees for College Avenue. They're much bigger now. Here you can still see some of the original building arrangement. This is what's now the cafeteria and Lampson Hall, the girls' dorm. Many of the fields are still out here at this point that were able to be seen from some of the dormitory rooms. This is more the current picture. 
And you can still see a few of the trees here. Back here is the St. Joe River again. A few of these trees are left from that long line of trees along College Avenue. This is College Avenue, what's left of it. A lot of it was taken out. But now in this picture, you see what's happened to these fields? You see, we started going a direction of reform, but then something changed and we've started going back. Instead of plowing up the ball field to put in the gardens that were called for, we have eliminated the gardens and put the ball fields back. Is the Lord calling for some reform? I know I've run a little over an hour, but I want to read something here in closing, and I'll try to make it as quick as possible. I mentioned last night some of the papers, just a few. I have compiled uh, quite a, a list. I've scanned in many research papers. Many of them came from the 1970s. I talked about how there was a very unusual resurgence of interest in the 1970s in Adventism in incorporating agriculture back into educational programs in a number of our schools. In 1975, this is another paper that was written by a man who was a seminary student there at Andrews University. And he wrote this paper entitled, Agriculture, Is It Still the ABCs? Agriculture, Is It Still the ABCs? And I want to read part of what he wrote. I think it will help you understand why the conflict still exists over agriculture in Adventism. God wants us, I'm reading now, God wants us all to have common sense, and he wants us to reason from, cause, from common sense. Ellen White was speaking. He's quoting from Ellen White. Ellen White was speaking to the members of the St. Helena Church School Board who had been misapplying her writings. Circumstances alter conditions, she added. Circumstances change the relation of things. These are practical words, and they point directly to the issue at hand. What's the issue at hand? Agriculture. Is it still the ABCs? In 1898, Mrs. White wrote, I have been shown that study in agricultural lines should be the A, B, and C of the educational work in our schools. When we ask the meaning of this statement for 19... I'm sorry... When we ask the meaning of this statement for 1975, it is not because we are some kind of doubting Thomases. Circumstances do alter conditions, and the circumstances of agriculture today are a far cry indeed from those of 1898. In the United States, for example, the census of 1900 found 37.5% of the total working force still engaged in farm labor. That's over one-third of the population is working in farm labor. By 1973, this had dropped to 3.7, one-tenth the previous figure. Now, I mentioned that in 1900, 80% of the population was living outside the city. This is not talking about the people not living in the city. This is talking about the people actively engaged in the occupation of farming. It's over one-third of the population. There are many more living outside the city, growing a garden, but they may not be following farming as an occupation. So by 1973, 
This had dropped to 3.7, one-tenth the previous figure. New opportunities to enter farming today are extremely limited. Now, he could say this with even more extensive documentation today. He's writing in 1975. He says they are big becoming fewer every year as highly sophisticated machines take over more and more farm jobs. According to Census Bureau figures, in 1900, it took 147 man hours to bring 100 bushels of corn to market. Now listen carefully. 147 man hours to bring 100 bushels of corn to market. Just under seven hours of labor are needed for the same job today. Now this today is 1973. It's going to be much less today. In the light of evidence like this, until recently, I agreed with those who believed the famous ABC statement can no longer be taken in a literal sense. It seemed clear that some other word, perhaps electronics, computer technology, or at least auto mechanics should be put in place of the word agriculture in this context. Then a few months ago, while at Andrews University, I had occasion to review every available statement by Ellen White on agriculture and its relation to Christian education. It was an enlightening experience, to say the least. Now I am wondering if some who have spoken out on this subject may not be doing what I was doing writing off the role of agriculture for our schools without actually going to the original statements themselves to analyze the principles set forth and grasp the concept which Ellen White presents on this subject. In the first place, the statements show that Mrs. White did not envision agricultural training as being especially important because of the many youth who were going to, to man the farms of rural America. Let me read that again. In the first place, the statements show that Mrs. White did not envision agricultural training to be especially important because of the many youth who were going out to man the farm, farms of rural America or of any other part of the world for that matter. So in other words, he's saying Mrs. White is not saying agriculture is important because we're going to train farmers to go out and farm. It's some other reason. Instead, she writes... Quoting, this knowledge, training in agriculture, will not be a hindrance to the education essential for business or for usefulness in any line. In another passage on agricultural training for students, she generalizes a bit more and says the benefit of manual training is needed also by professional men. A man may have a brilliant mind. His knowledge may still... His knowledge and skill may secure for his admission to his chosen calling, yet he may still be far from possessing a fitness for his duties. An education derived chiefly from books leads to superficial thinking. So the fact that very few Adventist students will become farmers does not constitute as strong an argument as I had thought for writing off agriculture as an important educational tool. For that matter, have you ever thought how many students of Battle Creek College in 1898 were planning to go into agriculture as a profession? That is not what people usually went to college for in the 1890s. No doubt many of them had come from the farm, 
but that is definitely not where most of them were planning to go when they finished college. Maybe this is why administrators in that decade were about as slow as we are today to take hold of this council. Then what reasons are set forth by Ellen White for urging agricultural experience for Adventist youth? I find at least five reasons in the following paragraphs. See how many of them you think are still valid and which do you think no longer apply. So here he's going to mention five reasons why Ellen White is saying agriculture should be a part of education in our schools. Does this relate, by the way, to the history of agriculture and Adventism? Yes. Yes, this is right in the center of our focus. All right, here's one of the statements. As a relaxation from study, occupation pursued in the open air and affording exercise for the whole body are the most beneficial. No line of training is of more value than agriculture. A greater effort should be made to encourage an interest in agricultural pursuits. Another statement, the school farm is to be regarded as a lesson book in nature from which the teachers may draw their object lessons, and that's part of what we read earlier. Another statement, the care of the trees, the planting and the sowing and the gathering of the harvest are to be wonderful lessons for all the students. Notice how many times the word all comes in here. The same God, another statement, the same God who guides the planets works in the fruit orchard. I like that statement. I've had an interest in uh, fruits and especially in apples. It says the same God that guides the planets is working in the orchard. So if we're out there, who are we working with? Yes. It says he works in the orchard and in the vegetable garden. So that means you can also work with him if you go to the vegetable garden. When he was in the world in the form of humanity, Christ said, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. So when the students employ their time and strength in agricultural work, in heaven it is said of them, Ye are laborers together with God. Are we less, now he's, he's mentioned these statements, he says, are we less in need of physical exercise in the open air than were the students and teachers of 80 years ago? Are we less in need of what vivid contact with the lessons of nature and the joy of cooperating with the creator in the fruit orchard and in the vegetable garden? Are we less in need of what that will produce? Those who combine useful labor with study have no need of gymnastic exercises. And work performed in the open air is tenfold more beneficial than, to health than indoor labor. Both the mechanic and the farmer have physical exercise, yet the farmer is the healthier of the two. Nothing short of nature's invigorating air and sunshine will fully meet the demands of the system. The tiller of the soil finds in his labor all the movements that were ever practiced in the gymnasium. His movement room is the open fields. The canopy of heaven is its roof, the solid earth its floor. Here he plows and hoes, sows and reaps. Watch him as in haying time he mows hay. He rakes, pitches and tumbles, lifts and loads, 
throws off, treads down, and stows away. And when it talks here about mowing and raking, it's not talking about getting on a big air-conditioned articulating tractor with a 20-foot mowing machine or rake behind it and setting the GPS and going two miles down through the field. You know what kind of mowing they did then? Yes, it was with a scythe. And I've read about James White and two other elders from the church who contracted to mow 100 acres with scythes. It would take me a long time with horses to mow 100 acres because I've, I've worked horses for about 15 years and mowed many, many acres. But to mow it all with a scythe, that's what early Adventists were made of. And there's some interesting stories about that, but that's the kind of thing it's talking about when it says watch him in haying time as he mows, rakes, pitches, tumbles, lifts, loads, throws off, treads down, stows away. These various movements call into action the bones, joints, muscles, sinews, and nerves of the body. His vigorous exercise causes full, deep, strong inspirations and exhalations which expand the lungs and purify the blood, sending the warm currents of life bounding through the arteries and veins. Pretty picturesque. There is still another reason. Now, he was quoting a statement from Ellen White, but now the writer here goes on to make just another observation. He says, there is still another reason for urging the students in Adventist schools to learn the elements of agriculture. It is based on Revelation 13.7. So do you know agriculture is taught in Revelation? Well, we've already noted it's part of the three angels' messages. It says here, no one was allowed to buy or sell unless he bore his beast mark, either name or number. He's quoting from a slightly different translation here, but what is he talking about? Yes, talking about the mark of the beast. Ellen White was writing specifically of agriculture as a part of education when she added, the time is not far distant when the laws against Sunday labor will be more stringent and an effort should be made to secure grounds away from the cities where fruits and vegetables can be raised. Agriculture will open resources for self-support and various other trades also could be learned. So he's pointing out that that's in the context of Sunday legislation that agriculture will be very useful. He says, I have come from this study with the firm conviction that agriculture is indeed still the ABCs of the educational work that should be offered in our schools. There's a little more he wrote, but I'm going to stop there because I think that's a good ending point for our survey of this part of Adventist history. And I hope that you see a much clearer picture now of where agriculture fits into education. It's not a matter of training farmers. That's a good work. It's not a matter of being able to feed ourselves. That's a good work. It's essential to character development. It's something that prepares us for working on the Lord's farm in the new earth. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for the Sabbath hours that bring to us the blessing of thy divine presence in a special way. And as we have looked at some of the important areas of our Adventist history and the connections of agriculture, 
I pray that we will see more clearly where we each can gain benefit and have an involvement in some way more than just eating the food that's produced from the soil, more than perhaps just seeing the activities of agriculture, but that we can understand thy divine plan. I pray that we each can see what we can do, even if it's on a very small scale, that will contribute in a meaningful way to the development of the character traits that our Heavenly Father is trying to grow in the garden of the human heart. We pray for each one here this evening, for those who have been listening to the meetings through the live broadcast. We pray for the rest of the conference here this evening, and we want to commit ourselves anew to Thee. There may be young people here who are listening to the presentations who have come to this conference who thou art calling in a special way to this work of agricultural evangelism. And I pray that thou will lay this special mission upon the hearts of, of those here that are being called in that way. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.